Have you ever noticed that compared to you, everybody's weird? Anybody ever notice that? I mean, it's true, isn't it? Like, I mean, I love to think that if people were just a little bit more like me, that would solve roughly 97.3% of all the problems in the world. I mean, I have allowed that there might be about 2.7% that would still remain. Um, but I, I just, at least most of the problems, if, if not the problems in the world, most of the problems in their life would be solved if they were just a little bit more like me. Anybody with me on that? Not, not like, like me, but if they were like you, like you would, you would, you know, you got your stuff together. Like they would, they would immediately, their life would be better if they were more like you. I mean, I, I feel like we're close enough now though, that I can tell you this, that some of you guys are messed up. Like, uh, like you got issues. All right. Like I'm good, but you're not so good. And, and that's the way we kind of live our lives, right? Like we love to think about how messed up everybody else is but we're good. And, and the truth is though, that we all, every single one of us, we all have issues. Me, you, your kids, my kids, your in-laws, my in-laws. How many would admit this morning that your spouse has issues? That was an intelligence test for all the men in the room. <clears throat> but they do though, right? Like our spouses, our bosses, our friends, parents, in-laws, neighbors, all of us, we all, every single one of us, we all got issues. And there's almost unanimous consensus around that reality, right? Like, like not a lot of people in the world are looking around and going, yeah, we're fine. Everything's fine. The world is fine. We're all doing great. And everybody's just good. Like nobody's doing that. If you've been gone the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months, we've been in this conversation uh, entitled Sounds Familiar, where we've been working our way through the greatest sermon ever preached. It was preached by Jesus, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and, and we've been taking our time. And the reason we're talking about it, uh, the reason why we entitled it Sounds Familiar is because so many of the things that so many of us, even no matter what our background in church, that so many of us believe like, ah, I think that's in the Bible. I haven't read it. I don't know where, I don't know who said it. So many of the things that kind of sound spiritual, so many of the things that we sort of know or are, are, might be in the Bible uh, that, that sort of sound familiar, so many of those things were said by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And so today we actually come to one of the most popular things that Jesus ever said. People who are not followers of Jesus, people who don't believe, people who have never read the Bible, people who've never gone to church, they know this verse or at least part of it. Like they don't know where it is. Like they, they don't know what comes before it or after it. Like if their life depended on it, they probably couldn't find it. Uh, but they know this one thing they, that, that Jesus said. And it's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Now, there's a lot of famous like knots in the Bible, like do not murder, do not lie, and do not steal, and do not commit adultery. And there's, there's, a, there's plenty of other ones. But, but this statement of Jesus might be the most famous knot in the Bible. And it comes right here in the middle of Jesus's sermon. And, and, and you might actually be aware of it. You may be even thinking about it. Um, but here it is in Matthew chapter seven, verse one, this is what he says, do not judge. We love to quote that, don't we? Like, like we, we, we sometimes like shorten it and go all King James English, or we say it kind of how Yoda would say it. We say, judge not like, do not judge, judge not. And we, we usually say it with attitude, right? When we feel judged by somebody, we, we kind of like, hey, judge not. And then if you're really fancy, you know that the rest of it is, lest you be judged. And we, so we throw in that 
extra little like King James version. Do not judge. Judge not lest you be judged. We love to say that. In fact, let's, let's all just say it together. Judge not. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. There we go. You, some of you guys really enjoyed it. There it is. That's what Jesus said. So let me give you a little bit of a definition because, and, and kind of tease this out. And, and you can use this the next time somebody judges you. When, when we're talking, when he says, do not judge or judge not, what we're really saying is like, thou shalt not size me up and write me off. Because that's what it means to judge, right? It is that I've sized you up. I've kind of looked at you. I've sort of evaluated you, kind of sized up what's going on with your life. Mm-hmm. And, and then I've written you off. Mm-hmm. You just keep on right on moving. Right? And so when Jesus says, judge not, when we say, you know, do not judge, what we're really saying is, thou shalt not size me up and write me off. Don't look at me or something I've said or something I wear or something I've, you know, someone I've been with or something I've done and don't, don't look at me and judge me. Don't size me up and don't write me off. And so if that's what Jesus taught and lived, it, it begs the question, why do religious people tend to be so judgmental? Because most of us have been on the receiving end of someone else's judgment, particularly people who were church people or people who said that they were Christians, somebody who attends church or maybe somebody even who works for the church or somebody who, who represents God or claims to speak for God. Someone who reads the Bible and says that they're a follower of Jesus. Like most of us have been on the receiving. So if Jesus said, do not judge, if Jesus said, judge not, why is it that so many religious people tend to be so judgmental? Now, I think part of the answer is, we're gonna try to answer this, is is religious people tend to be judgmental because they're human and human human beings tend to be judgmental. Like the reason why people in the church are judgmental is because People outside the church are judgmental. Like I have tons of friends who are not religious in any way and they're almost all judgmental in some way. Now we like to like hate on the people in the church that are judgmental and rightfully so because you're following somebody who said, do not judge. But the reason why there's so many judgy people inside the church is because there's so many judgy people everywhere. Any, anybody like the people watch? I'm, I'm a huge people watcher. Hansi and I love to people watch. It's a lot of fun but a huge part of the fun of people watching is kind of the tacit judgment involved, right? There's like, whoa, check out the hair coming down the aisle. What, what is he wearing? Do you think she just rolled out of bed? What were they thinking? Fanny pack alert. Whoa, check out Mr. Panther way too tight coming down the aisle. Like, dude, she is rocking those Crocs. Never wear Crocs. That's one way to live your life, I guess. Did they even look in a mirror at all today? Doesn't anybody love them enough to tell them how they look before they left the house? Right? Like those are all the things that we think and say. Like we do all, like one of my favorite things, my my wife and I, we've been huge Disneyland fans. And so we've actually taken a couple of trips that just her and I without our kids where we go to Disneyland. And our favorite thing to do is like, if you know, like on Main Street, there's like the little houses and one of them's got a porch with some chairs on it. And we would just and people are always kind of fighting for those chairs because it's really the only place to sit down on Main Street. And so, but we would go up on Main Street and sit there and we would just sit there for hours and one of us would go get food and bring it back and we would just people watch as people walk by and just like, oh, look at them, oh my gosh, they wore that to Disneyland, can you believe it? 
Dude, the truth is it's good natured, right? We're not trying to hurt anybody. It's stuff we'd probably never say out loud except to the people that we're people watching with. But at the end of the day, what are we doing? We're judging them in the most superficial of ways too, right? So in a general sense, there's this reality that, that religious people are judgy because all people are judgy. But I, I think there's probably a couple of more specific reasons. Now, number one, I think in general, um, we, and I'm just gonna classify myself as a religious person, even though I, I don't consider myself a religious person, but just in general, like I think in general, one of, the, one of the reasons why religious people tend to be more judgy is because we're kind of jealous. Like you're trying to be a good Christian and do what's right. And you look around you and the people around you are not trying to do what's right. And the people around you are, man, they're sinning and their life is a mess. And the people who don't seem to be trying all that hard to do right. And they're, and they're having fun and they're getting away with it. And so there's this sense of indignation that kind of takes over where we're like, if I can't, then you shouldn't be able to either because I don't want you getting away with something that I can't get away with. Or... Have, have you ever heard Christians or pastors talk about how sin isn't fun? I remember growing up, like I had a youth pastor that would always talk about like sin's not fun, sin's not fun. And I, but I actually had our pastor say one time, like if, if sin isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. Like, like, the, like there's a lot of fun to be had in doing the wrong things, which is true, right? And, and so there's kind of this jealousy that kicks in. Or have you ever met a Christian who kind of seems like, like they're a little bit too happy that there's a hell? Like it just seems like, they have a little too much joy that there's a hell because they're pretty sure they're not going there, but they know some people who are. And they're just like, that'll teach you to enjoy all that sin because they have like this really messed up idea of what sin is and how it works and what, what's happening between us and God. And, and you're going like, I really don't think you've thought this through. Like if you're happy, there's a hell, right? Like, like that's probably the antithesis of what Jesus would say and think and feel. See, I, I think one of the re reasons that religious people are so judgmental is that they think that people are getting away with their sin because we just simply don't understand sin and God's grace and God's love. But the bottom line is it's just kind of jealousy. And the second reason I think is religious people, maybe more than others, tend to be self more self-righteous which is just kind of ignorant and arrogant because self-righteousness kind of, what, what self-righteousness does is like, I'm gonna dumb down God's standard for me and elevate my standard for you. That's what, that's what self-righteous people do. It's like, I, I'm, I'm good, me and God are good. This, this, I'm gonna lower or dumb down God's standard, which makes me feel better, better about me, but I'm gonna elevate my own standard of what's good and right and holy and Christian and what Jesus would do. And I'm gonna hold other people to that standard. The problem is that self-righteous people are very, very rarely ever self-aware. It's just so arrogant to do that. It's so, like, it just lacks any like, understanding of what Jesus has done for us, right? Because there's so much that we don't know about other people. There's so much context we're missing. See, the reality is that we're all in motion. We're all moving relationally and spiritually and physically and emotionally. And we see them moving and their life moving in a certain direction with a certain momentum. And it looks like their life is headed a certain way, but we often don't actually see each other in our lives except for in just little slices or little snapshots. And so we have this snapshot. I take a snapshot of you and your life of this moment. And that's how I define you and your life. That's how I define your relationships. That's how I define whether or not like you have a relationship with God. 
And so we make all kinds of assumptions and inferences based on just this little tiny slice, this little moment, this little snapshot of people. And so we judge them and we define them by that snapshot image. And we do it in all different kinds of areas of our lives, including, unfortunately, it happens at church. Where we see people here and then then in some moment they hurt or disappoint us and we think, man, I thought they were like, I thought they were a Christian. I thought, I mean, they go to church. What was wrong with them? Because self, self-righteousness actually doesn't, doesn't give other people the space to be kind of a fallen, broken, imperfect, messy human being like we all are. See, in the end, religion actually lends itself to being self-righteous and judgmental, which, which actually makes what Jesus said extremely important and worthy of us spending at least this time that we're spending this morning talking about it. Worthy of us taking note of it. Worthy of us kind of pulling it apart. Because in the end, judge not or do not judge isn't all Jesus said. So let's take a look at everything he said in this section. Matthew chapter seven, verse one and two. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So he's saying, when you judge, it's coming back on you. It might feel good. You might feel self-righteous. You might feel better than them. You might feel holier than them. But the truth is, the judgment that you've just given them is actually boomeranging and coming right back at you. This isn't, by the way, this isn't Jesus like teaching karma or that if you just put out good vibes and good juju out into the world, you know, and good you know, into the universe that you'll get good vibes and good juju back. He's actually just simply telling us the nature of human beings, that we tend to be incredibly reciprocal in the way that we respond to people. And so when people judge us, we're coming right back at them with judgment. People are kind and gracious to us we almost always return that, kind and, that kindness and grace to them. In essence, what he's saying is, judge other people the way you would have others judge you. In fact, in just a little while, he actually says that, do to others what you would have them do to you. He's actually trying to get us to take a step back and ask ourselves the question, how do I want to be judged. And if you're like me, I want to be judged not. But if you are going to judge me, I want you to take into account my entire story. I want you to understand how I grew up. I want you to understand my family dynamics. I want you to understand my parents and my brothers and sisters. I want you to understand the schools I went to and the neighborhoods I was from. I want you to understand the the good stuff and the bad stuff. I want you to understand my most incredible moments and my darkest fears and most painful experiences. I I want you to, to know the setbacks and the challenges as well as the setups and the opportunities. I want you to understand my insecurities and temptations, understand my heart and intentions, understand who I am in totality if you're going to judge me, not just a slice, not just a snapshot, not just a picture, not just a window into my, I want you to know everything about me and take into account everything about me if you're gonna judge me. Jesus actually says that there's this cruel irony to life where, where the same way and in the same manner and to the same degree and with the same measure with which we judge other people, we will be 
judged. Okay, so that's it. Do not judge or you will be judged. Got it. The end. Except Jesus didn't stop there. He continues. Verse three. He says, for why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. See, the issue isn't, and I want you to see this if you start to actually analyze what Jesus is saying. The issue isn't that they don't have sawdust in their eyes. The issue isn't that they don't have a speck in their eye. They do. They are imperfect. They do have sawdust. They do have specks in their eye. The issue isn't the speck in their eye. The issue is the plank that's in yours. So Jesus asked the question, why do we do that? Why would you do that? By the way, this is obviously a rhetorical question, but anytime Jesus asks the question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's so that we actually stop and begin to search for and come to that answer on our own. So why do we do it? Part of it is because it's way more fun to look at your problems and faults and failures than it is to look at mine, isn't it? Like looking at the sawdust in your eye distracts me from the plank in my eye. Noticing what's wrong with other people makes us feel better about us. I mean, that's always been the appeal of like daytime talk shows, right? People that go on like Dr. Phil or Maury or whatever. Like, like, yeah, like we watch them because we're like, whoa, their life is screwed up and it's entertaining how screwed up their life is. And I feel better about my life now. When our oldest son was like two years old when he was potty training, it was perfect because I don't know why, but he only wanted to watch Dr. Phil. And so he would carry out his little like potty and put it in front of the TV and he would go, Dr. Phil. And we'd turn on Dr. Phil. And if Dr. Phil wasn't on, he'd cry. I was on Dr. Phil. And I was like, there's something about using the bathroom and watching Dr. Phil that feels like it just all goes together. Right? Because, and we watch those shows, right, where we're like, there are people out there who are more messed up than us, whose families are more messed up than ours. We're okay, everybody. You can take a deep breath. You see, looking at my problems is uncomfortable, but looking at yours is kind of fun. The second reason why we would do this, the second reason that's the answer is like, I didn't even know I had a plank in my eye. See, I think one of the things that doesn't often come up in this discussion of what Jesus was alluding to and when he's, is just how important we are to one another, how important it is for us to be in relationship and community with each other because you and I are broken in ways that we cannot see and that we do not know. That I have this giant plank sticking out of my eye. And so often I don't even know it because I'm like worried about trying to get the speck out of your eye. And then there's just all the stuff that we do know that we are aware of, but we just live in denial of, right? And so Jesus is saying, how dare you point out what's wrong with someone else when you have something wrong with you? And so often, even when I do admit and look at my own sin and brokenness, I treat it differently than I do your sin and brokenness because most of the time it's grace for me, but it's judgment for you. That's the way we are, right? Isn't it true that we judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions? 
like you guys know my heart. Like I know I did the wrong thing, but inside I meant to do the right thing. And so I'm gonna give myself grace because I know I'm a good person. Even though you did the exact same thing, I'm gonna judge you harshly because you're truly and clearly not a good person. See, Jesus makes it very clear how God feels about that because then he drops the H-bomb on us, right? He says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. And, And according to Jesus, by his definition, a hypocrite is someone who's more fascinated by what's wrong with other people than they are with what's wrong with themselves. And by that definition, a whole bunch more of us are hypocrites than we think. It's people who are preoccupied with fixing everyone else except themselves. Have you ever known anybody like that? Okay, so just to summarize, don't judge or you will be judged. And don't be a hypocrite. Mind your business, worry about yourself. Got it. And that's usually where we stop. So often we read it like there's a period after the word hypocrite, but there's not. It's a comma. Jesus isn't done. So this is what he says next. Check this out. Verse five, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. First take the plank out of your own eye. See, I think part of what he's saying is when I see you and how messed up you are, it's a reminder to me to look in the mirror and figure out how messed up I am. That your sin shouldn't cause me to judge you. Your sin should cause me to examine myself and judge myself and deal with my sin. That my messed upness helps you recognize your messed upness and and as we each deal with our own messed upness, we actually grow and heal. The fact that I'm a mess should help you become less of a mess. So you're welcome. It's a service I provide. But that, that's part of the way that we should respond to the messes and the brokenness and the problems and the failures in each other's lives is not to move in there and go, here, let me fix you. Not to move towards them and go, here, let me judge you. Not to go talk about other people about them, but to go home and deal with our own mess in our own lives. So he says, the first thing is to take out the plank out of your own eye. But if there's a first thing, there must be a second thing. It's not a trick question. Second thing. So we should stop and ask what that second thing is, right? And here's the deal. Following Jesus is never just about me. It's about us. It's, about, it's not just about my life and my growth and me being better off. It's about us and your life and your growth and us being connected and growing together into who God wants us to be. And so there's a second part because your problems and your mess isn't just so I can look at myself and get better. What a shallow motivation. Verse five, he says this, he continues, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then, here's the second part, then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. See, this isn't Jesus saying, everybody just mind your own business. I wish it was that simple. See, so often we want to try to like, cherry pick the things Jesus said and make it all one way or all the other way because 
in the middle, it feels messy and it's difficult and challenging. And so we just like, oh, I don't like that. It's more uncomfortable. So I'm gonna move this direction or that direction. But, but Jesus doesn't like leave us that option. See, he's not just telling everybody to go mind their own business. This isn't Jesus saying you should just completely ignore the speck in their eye, that it's none of your concern. In fact, at this point in the whole conversation, he takes the whole new direction and, and he takes the, everything that he had just kind of said there and the, the momentum of the conversation and where everybody thought it was gonna go and he kind of flips it on his head because he's saying there's a time and a place for a conversation about the speck that's in their eye. But the context of that conversation and the order of which those things unfold really matter. He's going, there's an order because if you don't deal with the plank in your eye, you will never, ever, ever be in a place where you can appropriately approach someone about the very small, tiny, miniature, little speck in their eye. See, that's the order. I deal with me first. I worry about me first and my problems and my sin and my mess first. But then there is a moment, not just me, but us together as the family of God, where I'm in relationship with you, where I I approach you about the speck that's in your eye. See, there's an order. There's also a context. That context is relationship. See, the standard in the scriptures is always, always, always love. See, sometimes the most loving thing someone can do for me is not to mind their business, but it's to speak into that part of my business that needs minding. Some of the people who have hurt me the most and said the most challenging, difficult things to me, people that I was angry at for what they said to me, people that my response was, you can't judge me, but I knew what they were saying was true. And even though it felt like judgment, in retrospect, it was love. See, sometimes the most loving thing we can do for one another is not mind our own business, but speak into that part of each other's business that needs minding. To look at a situation, somebody to look at a problem or a habit or a path that I'm on and say, hey, I love you and I'm for you. And, I, and like, I, I'm your biggest fan. And I love you enough to tell you that there's a speck in your eye. I don't think it's the worst thing ever. I have a plank in my eye and I've been working on dealing with that. And you probably can't see it and you probably don't know it, but there's a speck in your eye and it's hurting you. See, we need people who love us enough to challenge us and call us to a bigger, better, healthier life. People who will call us to a deeper faith and a more selfless life. People who push us to grow and to become a better version of ourselves, to become more like Jesus and who God created us to be. People who, who, because in, in the end, people who can't be questioned usually end up doing questionable things. See, if you and I are in a place where nobody can ever approach us, nobody can ever come and say, hey, I don't think you should have done that. I don't think you should have went about that. I don't think, like, if we can't be questioned, we undoubtedly will end up giving ourselves permission to move into places and things and do things that are highly questionable. And as uncomfortable as it is, when that happens, when somebody comes to me and says, hey, there's a speck, 
here's a speck. Deep inside, we know we need it. None of us want to be judged. None of us do. None of us need to be judged. But we all need people who will speak the truth to us in, in love. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says, The wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Who are the people who love you enough to risk wounding you? Who are the people that love you enough to say, Hey, I'm not perfect. I, this is not a judgment on you, but I love you and I need to have this conversation. Beware of people who are always telling you how great you are and everything you want to hear. It, you know what he said? An enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy's just like, oh man, yeah, you're just, you're the best. You're the, you're the bomb. You, you, you got no problems. Like you're the, of course you need people who believe in you and encourage you and cheer you on but somebody that's just constantly pouring it on, that person's not your friend. Beware of people who are constantly telling you what you want to hear. Of course it feels good, but just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. See, Jesus commands us to address our stuff, our issues, and the reason he commands us to do it is to prepare us to help one another address the rest of our stuff and our issues. And he says, that's not judging others, that's, that's loving them. See, the command he gave over and over and over again to his followers for his movement was love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. Self-righteousness and jealousy shut down and diminish love, but self-awareness paves the way for the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated and instructed us to give one another. We cannot escape our need for each other. It's so silly that we gravitate towards and grab onto this idea that all I need is God, that it's just me and God, it's me and God, and I don't need anybody. No, 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 read the scriptures. There's nowhere you can actually get that idea from the scriptures. Nobody wants or needs people in their life who judge them, nobody but we all need people in our life who are for us, who have our back no matter what, who love us enough to speak the truth in love. You need people who will brag on your strengths and defend your weaknesses, but you also need people who will come to you and say, there's a speck in your eye. See, love forbids me from sizing you up and writing you off, but love also forbids me from sizing you up and walking away. We love, we love, love, love the do not judge or you will be judged part. But there was so much more to what Jesus said. We all know what it's like to be judged. We're all in the same boat there. But I think most of us fall into kind of one of three audiences. Most of us fall into one of three categories this morning where we're those people who size people up and write them off. And those are the self-righteous. And the truth is, is like if the brokenness and the sin or the mess in others doesn't actually break your heart, it's, it might be because your heart was never broken over your own sin and own mess and own brokenness. And if that's us, if, we, if we're somebody that kind of tends towards a self-righteous sort of judgmental attitude towards other people, we actually need to come clean. We actually need to come to Jesus and do what the scriptures say is repent 
means to turn around and go the other direction. Some of us fall into that category. Then there are others of us who, more of us who fall into the category of those who size people up and just walk away. Their sin, their pain, their brokenness, it's heartbreaking to us. It's a reminder, you know, we see it, we're like, oh, they're at the grace of God, you know, there go I, you know, and it's a reminder to you that not only how far you've come, but all that you've been forgiven for and how far you have still left to go and you might even pray for them and God, that's a situation, and, and, but it ends there. You'd never ever dream of going, approaching them or talking to them about it. So you just kind of mind your business, which Honestly, we do sometimes, and it makes us feel more noble because you're not judgy like other people. But if we're honest, the main reason we don't approach people isn't because we're not judgy. We judge people all day long. We just keep it to ourselves and say it to a friend, which the the scriptures also say is gossip. But no, the real reason we keep it to ourselves is because fear of how we'll be perceived. We don't want people to judge us as being judgy. So we just choose to walk away. But that's not what love does. Besides, it's like the old song says, you can see clearly now the plank is gone. Is that too old a reference? It's probably pretty old. Okay. (laughs) It's not that all the specks and planks are forever gone. It's that before you ever thought of approaching them, you stepped back and you examined your own heart and your own life and you began to pray for them and you found, look for ways to serve them and to love them so that you can see clearly now. And, and Jesus is saying, you don't see clearly just for your sake. You see clearly for their sake as well. It's challenging. There's no doubt about it. It's uncomfortable. There's no doubt about it. it but it's what love does. It, it, it's the way that Jesus wanted his movement and his people and his family to operate. Because in a healthy family, we talk. In a healthy family, everybody lays their cards on the table. So the question I have for you this morning is, how can you lovingly leverage what God has done in your life for the benefit of someone else? And maybe, just maybe, after you've gone through the work of dealing with a plank in your eye, it's time to have a conversation with somebody about the speck in their eye. Love doesn't size people up and write them off, but also love doesn't size people up and walk away. And then there's those of us who have been sized up and refused to listen, where someone's come and said, hey, there's this thing and it's a problem. Somebody's come to you, but you wrote them off as being judgmental because that's what it feels like. So you told them they had no right to judge you and it was none of their business. And um, I, I have to say like pastors get a lot of practice at this, um, not because of any other reason, but we are constant in spiritual conversations with people who are, all of us who are in process. And I've never had one of these conversations go great, ever. Most of the time people are like, it's none of your business. I'm like, actually it is not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm your brother. And this is what love would do. And you're my friend and nothing changes, but I just want you to know, like, here's a speck. And God, God's calling you to something bigger and deeper. God wants, God has more for you. See, because when that happens, we know that they were right. 
we know that they're on something, they're onto something. We know that something needs to change. The problem is that stubbornness keeps us stuck. And the longer that we're defensive, the longer we're defeated by that speck, the longer that speck keeps us blinded. Nobody does it perfectly. It's difficult, it's challenging, it's messy, but it's what love does. It's the kind of place and people Jesus died for, Jesus wanted to create. It's the kind of relationships and life that he calls us into. The Apostle Paul, he took the message of Jesus and he began to write these letters and go around and start these churches and he would write letters back to them and he would try to take the message of Jesus and he, in his letters, he would try to like figure out what it looked like in real life. And so all through his letters in the New Testament, he writes what I, you know, what I think is just this giant list of what love looks like when we want another together. And so he, he says in his letters, he says to be devoted to one another. He says, honor one another, live in harmony with one another. Stop, pageant, stop passing judgment on each other, accept each other, be united with one another serve one another. Two times he says, bear with one another. That's put up with one another. He says, be kind to, be compassionate towards each other. He says it twice. Forgive one another. Thank God for one another. Don't slander each other. Don't grumble against one another. Offer hospitality to each other. Two or three times he says, be humble towards one another. Fellowship with one another. Be sympathetic towards one another. And a whopping 14 times in his letters, he says to love one another. And then he also says five times to encourage each other, to submit to one another. He uses the word spur, that there's something about our relationship that we should be pushing each other towards the good in our life. And then he uses this one in this one segment of his letter to the Colossians where he says, admonish, urge to choose God's best. Admonish one. Like there's a sense in which we're going, hey, Life's too short. This is too important. You're too valuable to me and to God for us to live beneath the life that God created us for. That's the kind of place that we're trying to build at South Hills. The perfect place for imperfect people. A place that's free of judgment and full of love but a place that challenges us and calls us to our best selves and our best lives to be the people that God created us to be. And we're not gonna get it right every time. In fact, I can guarantee you, I'm gonna get it wrong. But here's what I can also guarantee you, that I'm going to love you. And when I mess it up, I'm gonna tell you and I'm gonna own it. And together, we can start pulling the planks out of our own eyes because in the grand scheme of things, your speck is a little thing compared to this big problem that I'm dealing with. And when I deal with that, then together we start working through and encouraging each other and loving each other towards a bigger, better life. Let's pray together.